0: From the east side to the west, this is From the Land, the Cleveland Sports and More podcast. I'm your host, Jason Gerber, and tonight we are talking slowed down Cavs, Guardians shortstops, NFL salary cap, two early looks at the NBA play-in, and some Iceman cold shots. Off the field, we try to get serious for a hopefully smart talk about the 90s and being Gen X. I am joined tonight by two of the best ever. My co-hosts, Phil Danko and Chuck Rambaldo are here. Fellas, Austin Hedges hit a two-run bomb in a spring training game today. Excited or worried that he should have saved it for the regular season?
1: <laughs> Don't use that up, Austin. <laughs> we, we need you in spot spot situations to hit that that bomb.
2: I wish he would have saved it. Uh, but more importantly i did see the over under on miles straws home run total this year it's one and a half if any phil you especially Ooh. i know you like to bet oh that's yeah. an
1: under every yeah, day yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no way it, it would have been last year and
1: the year before that
0: a blind squirrel can hit two home runs if austin hedges can hit one in spring training we're off to maybe <laughs> a powerful start to the guardian season i hope so we're going to get to it but first We are going to start at home with our sip of wine and gold, our weekly Cavs recap, and well, that did not go as we had hoped. Cavs come out of the all-star break slower than an 80-year-old when the light turns green. Cavs lost at home to the up-and-coming Magic, and lost on the road, and didn't break 100 points, and another loss to the Embiidless 76ers. Cavs got back on track with a tougher-than-it-should-have-been win over the Wizards tonight. Cavs finished the week 37 and 19 still in second in the east only a game ahead of the Milwaukee Bucks what was the worst part of the Cavs play this week not having Donovan Mitchell
2: is, is probably the worst part but really sloppy uh, with the ball a lot of turnovers it's a much different obviously with without Donovan It's just a much different team but that that offense, especially Thursday, it kind of just reverted to dribble, 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 ton of turnovers and not shooting enough threes. Like this team changed this year with the amount of threes they were shooting. Uh, and then that's kind of their recipe for success. And I know it gets easier to shoot them with Donovan Mitchell on the floor, but but the fact that it just it reminded me of the, the Cavs team before Donovan Mitchell was here. Like it, this is a play-in team at best. Um, but but mostly turnovers and sloppiness and being unfocused. And maybe it was because of the break. I don't know. I guess it's like the same argument. Should the Browns have played their starters in the last week? Like, is is it like that kind of thing? but mostly just really sloppy basketball.
1: I think the worst part of this week was the Cavs bench. I think in those three games, and we didn't know Donovan was going to be out with an illness for two of the three, but even so, I think you get one of those two uh, with this Cavs roster and you go two and one, like we had hoped uh, going into this week, even without Donovan Mitchell. The bench put up no offense in those first two games. It was the Philadelphia game. We're like, all right, we could still get these guys. They don't have Embiid. We don't have Mitchell. Let's go out there and let the rest of the guys do their thing. And George Niang left, left, led our bench scoring two games in a row. He had good games. He had nine points. But Lavert had back-to-back games of six. And no one had more than that off the bench. It was uh, at some point in the Philadelphia game, I believe, their bench was outscoring our bench threefold, three-fold I think. Um, and it just... Without your superstar, all the more reason to get that support off the bench, get someone in double digits, you know, get that 30 to 40 point production off the bench that they've been doing all season. And I think they would have got one of those two games. So that was, that was disappointing coming out of the break.
0: For me, it was watching the offense flounder with no Mitchell. I get that he's a superstar. I get that he's the best player on the team. I get that for the last two months, the entire offense has run through him, but you got to look a little bit better even when he's out and maybe maybe we're spoiled a little bit by the Browns and how they managed to just continue to win games this season, despite injuries to all their main people. But man, they the offense looked bad in those first two games this week, lost and, and unable to figure out a way to put up points, which I get you're missing your best guy, but it shouldn't be that hard. And that's not even what I think the worst thing was. The Cavs missed 17 free throws in their last oh. two games. That's the worst part to me. If they make more free throws in that Philly game, they're, they're in it at the end. They might have a chance to win. Make your damn free throws, Cavs. Ah. Moving on. Did Donovan Mitchell, Mitchell bolster his MVP resume by not playing most of this week?
1: <laughs> I guess potentially if he would have went out there and they lost anyway. But I, I think if he had played this week, they would have gone a Chuck 3-0. and So, no, I don't think he bolstered his resume.
2: No, nah, I, don't, I don't think so, because it's not like when the Cavs won 18 to 20, anybody nationally was really talking about the Cavs anyway. So if he was on the court, <laughs> they were talking about much when he was on the court, but no, I don't, I don't think he bolstered his MVP stuff. I, maybe in our hearts, because he's so great, but
0: not, not overall. For sure he bolstered his case. He gets to say, now, look at how bad we are when I'm not out there. We look <laughs> terrible. We can't score any points. We had a game where we didn't score 100 points against a team missing their best player. Yeah. All right, can we talk a little bit about feelings? Obviously, I have a lot of them going on with the Cavs in this week. Sometimes I feel like the Cavs try to share too much. There's too much passing and not enough individual assertiveness. Do either of you ever feel that way about the Cavs? It depends on
2: the game. Like, like today, I'll say no, because 35 assists on 42 shots made, that's, that's good on friday with mitchell out i say yes because darius garland who needs to step up only took like 13 shots And granted, like the pick and roll was really working for him and we all know like that's great but at some point i guess this leads to a bigger discussion about my feelings for this team donovan mitchell obviously you say it, it runs through him but at some point in a playoff series he could be locked down and who is that second guy who is going to hit big shots when he that's that's what I, that's how I got my feelings in those first two games this week. Like, damn, who's going to step up if he's locked down for a game? Cause that's, that's legitimate concern. So certain times it works for this cast. team. Move the ball like today and they score a lot of points, but when Mitchell's not on the floor and Garland should have been taking 23 shots that game and he took 13. So yes, I understand what you're saying. I was a little bit in my feelings, not Drake in my feelings, but a little bit. <laughs>
1: well, thinking about this, as Chuck was answering there, um, this is how I feel. I feel that sharing is good and I want them to continue to share. Uh, especially this week, I thought Isaac Okoro did a great job of making that extra pass. He found guys cutting to the hoop a lot and we needed that just to be in these games. So I'm all about the sharing. But to the other part of what you were saying, Gerbs, um, as far as the feelings go, the the lack of assertiveness is was evident this week. Not so much today. You had your floor general back out there and and I'm sure that with that came some some level of of confidence. But and I'm going to say it. I'm going to call a guy out. And this is where I'm at in my feelings. Evan Mobley looks soft all week. He was not asserting himself anywhere near the paint. And, and, and in the games where he did okay rebounding, he scored eight points. I just, come on, Evan. Like, we don't need 25 and 12 out of you, but 15 and 12 would be good. 15 and 10 would be good. And I, I just felt he was playing soft this week. And I, I hope he gets out of that funk because I I really think they could have something special there with
0: him and Allen down low. I think it was Mobley during the 76ers game that got me thinking about this because there were just so many times where he's just standing at the three-point line or just inside it and and passing to people or he's getting the ball up high and he's dribbling in, but then he's just like dumping it off to somebody. It's like, I get it. You want to make those passes. Like today they looked awesome making the extra pass. It was great. It was like purposeful. But there was so much in those first two games this week where it's like passing for passing's sake and nobody's doing anything with the ball. And at like some point, whether it's Garland or it's Mobley, one of those two guys just got to say like, okay, this trip down, I'm not just passing the ball to somebody else so they can have a chance to throw a pass to somebody else. I'm I'm taking this to the rim. I'm shooting a shot. I'm shooting a three. Whatever it is, so much sharing – Left them with no aggressiveness, I think, in those first two games. I think you're right. Like, it went away today because probably because Mitchell was there, probably because the Wizards suck. (laughs) But um, they lack a little bit of instinct when Mitchell's not out there. And and I don't like to see that. And that is a giant problem still in the playoffs. And probably gives all three of us flashbacks of the Knicks series last year, which we're still trying to get over. Kind of along those same lines, as this season progresses, is your view on the offseason sign Mitchell trade Garland possibility changing or evolving?
1: Uh, I, I guess I came into this season thinking that if both of those players aren't on this roster next year, it was Mitchell that would be gone because just of who he is, his status in the league. But if I get to decide... I would sign Mitchell and trade Garland tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and I, li- I like, Gar- like, Hey man, like he's, he's a good young player, but I don't know that this team has another Donna. What team has another Donovan Mitchell on yeah. it? Right. You know, so if I could decide that would be my decision today.
2: It's evolving. Cause I, I think I said it earlier, like without Donovan Mitchell, this is, this is a playing basketball team. And that that could be the case next year or the year after if, if Mitchell's not here and Mobley, doesn't continue to develop that's the bigger question like when that contract comes up you're going to give him max money for potential not because he's not because he's actually doing it on the floor and taking over games like we've seen it happen but we still question it so I'd rather have Garland and Mitchell on this roster I just like to see how it works (laughs) you know how it works together we're a year two is it two years Jesus is it two and a half years um and and still sometimes it, it feels like it doesn't work out right but I think it's better if both of them are in a Cavs uniform, but if you're, you're telling me I have to pick one, well, shit, so I'm, I'm picking Donovan Mitchell.
0: I'm not sure we have to pick one, although I I think that's probably going to be a decision that they look at hard in the offseason, and maybe they have to make it. I, I think I would almost always say you got to keep Garland. He's part of like this young core. He was so awesome two years ago, and now I kind of look at it and say, gosh, wouldn't it be great? to get a haul for Garland, get like a big wing in because it's hard to play Cavs basketball with two small guards, get a get a bigger dude in and sign Mitchell long-term and keep him wrapped up for this entire run. I I lean a lot more towards that than I think I would have at the beginning of the season. And it's in part because Mitchell has been so great. And, you know, at times Garland has not been as reliable as, as maybe we'd hope he would be, but Basketball continues next week. Cavs get a chance to get back to winning, but it is not going to be easy. Cavs welcome the Western Conference six-seed Mavericks on Tuesday, then travel to Chicago Wednesday for a matchup with the play-in possible Bulls, Friday in Motown to play the downtrodden Pistons before coming back home for a big Sunday night matchup against the New York Knicks. Are the Cavs winning all these games by 20? (laughs)
1: No, <laughs> is is Amani Bates dressing? That's all we need to know. Get a is monster Imani... game last yeah, night. Yeah, yeah. He um, always
0: does. He's killing the G League.
1: Go get your G League championship, Amani. <laughs> um, the uh, I no, they're not winning any of these games by twenty.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what do you think the record's going to be next week?
2: Um,
0: I might go two and two. I don't like the way they looked
2: this week. Uh, even today against possibly the worst team in the NBA. Now you got. One good quarter out of that team today. Two eh, quarters. I think two and two. That Mavs game will be rough, even though it's at home. Pistons, you would hope. Nick, I guess I'm looking most forward to Sunday. Well, that's the game I'm looking most forward to. But two and two, I think, is... Man, I haven't said this since last... Even Steven, it's a good week. <laughs> there you go.
1: It looks like a two and two week. The Mavericks game is the, is the interesting one to me. Because that's a good team, but they're coming to Cleveland for that game. So, is that the first game where all right, Donovan's kind of back into the fold and he's feeling better and 100%. And, you know, we can take out a Mavericks team to get that week started. If we win, let's put it this way. If we win the Dallas game, I'm saying we're going three and one. I think it's a two and two week. But if we win that Dallas game, we go three and one. And the they're going to, everyone's going to make the Cleveland Cavs, New York Knicks game into playoff preview, yeah. something it isn't, but okay. So the, the intensity is going to be there. So hopefully going into that game, they're sitting at 2-1, and one, and then uh, we see what
0: happens. I'm with you guys. Probably 2-2. Two and two. They can win that Mavericks game. They've already beaten them once this year. Uh, they can definitely beat the Bulls, and they absolutely have to beat the Pistons, and it would be nice to get a win against the Knicks. So that's how you go 4-0. 4-0.
1: Right,
0: <laughs> <laughs> let's move on to our spring gardening, our look at the Cleveland Guardians in spring training, and let's talk shortstops. Last year, if you remember, opened with Ahmed Rosario at shortstop. Mm-hmm. By the end of the season, Brian Rochio and Jose Tanya saw some action, but Gabriel Arias saw the bulk of the playing time appearing in 122 games. Arias is expected to be the starter this year, but he hit 210 and 315 at-bats last year. So, if not him, is it Rocchio who is viewed, I think, as the best prospect in the organization, Tanya? Tyler Freeman do you move Andres Jimenez to shortstop instead if you had to pick one for the season knowing the guards need a bat at this spot who are you putting at shortstop
1: of that list so so I forget Arias because I think that's the guy that's gonna be there so don't include him no, you if can it's pick not- Ari-
0: no 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 you can pick okay. Arias. if you think he's well, gonna if you think he's the guy
1: I think if I, yes, I think it's Gabriel Arias, whether we like it or not, because this is a guy that um, has shown offensive talent at every level up until last year at the major league levels. So, you know, it's in the guardians wheelhouse to give the young guys all another season of offensive futility before they even consider moving on <laughs> from, <laughs> from, from that. So, but he's, a, he's young, I mean, he's 23 years old. The guy has. He's got a, a a cannon for an arm. He's great in the field. So I think, all right, get out there and find your offensive rhythm. So if I had to pick from that list, I'm going with Arias as the starter for the majority of the season.
2: I'd like them to be, on, I'm going to be really honest here. I'd like them to move Jimenez to shortstop. Uh, I, I'd much rather see a guy who has performed well, both offensively and defensively at the major league level. Now I get it. He's an all-star second baseman, but we're not talking about, you know, a guy who can't make direct transition. If there's one thing the Indians have, it's middle infielders and in pitching, but usually none of them hit really well. Uh, and that's that's the version of Arias that worries me. Like he's a great defensive shortstop. You you painted a nice picture. Like he didn't hit well. Like he hit worse against lefties. And that's a with over hundred at bats, you hit eighty three point zero eight <laughs> three. But then again, <laughs> that's, but then that's against low. But, but so that was the knock on Big Nads too. Like he couldn't hit lefties and and. He, he did all right. Uh, I think I'm pro- c- kind of with Phil here. I think Arius is the guy there. Rocchio, he can add power. I like him because, you know, like at the end of this last season, he proved that he could play at this level. Um, but I think you're going to see a little bit of a revolving door there as the season progresses, because I don't think anybody's going to hit in that position. Um, and you God. might see that that dude we traded for uh, from the Rockies. Uh, he's really young, and I, I don't remember his name, but I know the organization's pretty high on him. Uh, he's he's like young, Juan Martinez. Burrito. Yeah, oh, right, burrito. yeah, like, burrito, yeah right, like, burrito, right, like, burrito, right, yeah. yeah. So, so there, there's there's yeah, a burrito. <laughs> 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 but I think it's I think it's Arias, and for all the reasons Phil already said, like they're they're gonna give this kid a shot, even if he's not hitting that well, they'll let him work through it, and then ultimately, I think they start nitpicking and then playing other guys in that position as the season moves on.
0: Maybe a better question for our next spring gardening is the over-under on how many guys are going to be in the starting lineup who we don't think are going to hit at all. <laughs> like that's seven. Not, Over that's, seven. <laughs> that's not a good number for the Guardians, but you can't have your center fielder and your shortstop not produce at all offensively. You need them to do something, and that's why I wonder if is it's it, is it Rokio. I think that Brito guy, and there's another guy named Angel Martinez that Phil mentioned, those guys are awfully, awfully young. I don't think they're ready to be up there yet. You're really looking at some of these guys who who got a look a little bit last year, maybe getting a longer look this year. But shit, I don't, I don't really want a revolving door at shortstop. That's not a good position to do that with. That's no fun. Oh, God. Well, it's going to be an interesting Guardian season. Why don't we move on to a new segment called Give Me the Goods our spring look at the Guardians 2024 home game promotions. So I'm going to go through for the next few weeks, the promotions the Guardians are doing during their home games. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to pick which of two you're buying a ticket for. So this summer, Wednesday, June 5th, Guardians pickleball paddle giveaway. Ooh. Saturday, June 22nd, Josh Naylor bobblehead day and post game Diesel concert with Shaq, Shaq presented Hill. by White Claw. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do I even need to ask which no. one of these games you guys want to go to? <laughs> oh, all right. We're all going for a Nailer bobblehead and see Shaq do whatever the hell he does now after the game and have some White Claws. I don't know. That's gonna make us feel better about whatever's happening at shortstop, I think. Anyway, fellas, we are going to take a break there. We're gonna come back, hit the road, talk some NFL and some NBA. Welcome back, fellows, to our second segment. We'll head out on the road, start in the NFL. The NFL salary cap is going up $30 bucks to $255 million for next season. Does the increased salary cap change your current feelings on the Deshaun Watson contract?
2: No. <laughs> no. <laughs> it makes it uh, easier to restructure, I'm assuming, but the best part about it, uh, God, I love social media because now it's like, well, we can go out and sign Mike Evans and Gabe Davis, and we can trade for Justin Jefferson. I'm like, yeah, you're damn right, we can. Uh, it doesn't make me feel any better, but it should make it easier to restructure some people so that we can sign maybe a wide receiver for like two million a year.
1: Yeah, I mean, it helps out immediately because uh, I, I believe after the increase, the Browns are still over the cap, but yeah. by significantly <laughs> less money now. Instead yeah, of forty yeah. mil, it's like seven mil or something over, right? Sixteen. So- 16 million oh.
0: over right Is that what now? we not are bad. Really? Oh, not wow. bad. Yeah. But, but bad. again,
1: only a week ago, it was 46 mil over then, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I'll take it. It helps and, and pushes. I think Chuck's right. Like there's still a, a fair amount of restructure and they'll do it. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's what Andrew Barry does and what the NFL does. They'll restructure and this helps them get under the cap quicker to go out and sign those. Like Chuck said, those two to $5 million a year players to help this team win a championship mike evans
0: (laughs) i agree it doesn't really change at all the deshaun watson thing i think that deshaun watson deal has if he would perform is a good quarterback deal in the nfl he's Mm got to perform he just hasn't done it for all the reasons we've spent way too much time talking about but if he performs that's actually a good deal for a quarterback in the end we know that these numbers don't mean a damn thing they're going to restructure everybody all of a sudden they're going to go from being 16 million over to 47 million under while they're still <laughs> paying everybody the same amount somehow and they're going to go out and they're not going to do what chuck is describing but they're going to go out and get pieces that they need and they're going to find a way to get it done these these numbers are meaningless in the afc north the team that's looking the best right now are the cincinnati bengals 50 million under the cap how worried are you about them loading up this offseason?
1: Wow. Well, um, I, I think some of their high-priced talent is actually uh, their free agents, like a T. Higgins maybe. Um, so maybe maybe they go after that and that eats away at it. But that's impressive. They're well under the cap. I, I, If I owned the Cincinnati Bengals, I would I would do everything I can to protect that Joe Burrow guy, which seems to be their issue because they can't keep him healthy. And I think if he's healthy, they got to be in the conversation to win the division
2: and notoriously cheap franchise, yeah. But fifty million's a lot of scratch, man. Yeah. And I would, uh, I would hope you would say, hey, we've we've committed. We were just there two years ago. Yeah. What what are the pieces we need? T Higgins is probably going to get franchise tag, but phil's right. Like trench guys, you need those dudes to keep Burrow upright and healthy until the Browns play him, and then they can injure him, and that's fine. Uh, but but ultimately. It it does worry me because everybody in this division is capable of winning this division. Uh, And if it's a money issue, I didn't know the Bengals had 50 million. That makes me a little bit nervous.
0: It makes me nervous that they have that space. But I think the history of the Bengals show that they're probably not going to spend it, which is probably why it's there in the first place. You know, I mean, they like you're saying, they were there two years ago. They have the quarterback to get them there. How do they have any money left over? Why why weren't they going out and getting people last year? I mean, I'm not familiar with the Bengals offseason moves, nor do I want to be. I have a feeling that it's just the way they run their franchise. They're not going to spend through that money, even though we all know how important the window is. The window in every sport is so important, and you've got Joe Burrow. He's still young and healthy enough if you keep him upright. Go get offensive linemen, gear up on that defense a little bit, too, is probably what they need. And they would be scary, and the fact that they've got that much space, and they're still a pretty good team, if Burrow's healthy, uh, that that should really worry us as Browns fans. So let's let's not talk about that anymore. Yeah, we're just going to forget all about that <laughs> good. for a little while. Let's let's yeah. talk a little NBA, and take a too soon look at the Eastern Conference plan. So, the seven to ten seeds make the play in with a chance to fill the seven and eight seeds in the playoffs. If the season ended today, the Cavs would play the 7th seed. So right now it's in order. Pacers, Heat, Bulls, Hawks. And if you're paying attention to the news today, um, Trey Young just got hurt pretty bad. It's probably out for like a month right now for the Hawks. So if I had been smart, I would have looked at whoever was right behind the Hawks, but I didn't. So we're stuck with these four. Unless it's the next. It's the Nets. Oh, okay. So maybe it's the Hawks (laughs) or the Nets. That's a terrible choice. So which matchup do you like best for the Cavs? And who do you think that seven seed is going to end up being at the end of the year? It's pretty shitty
2: with the Nets and the rap. I'm sorry. The Raptors too have 21 wins. So the the two really bad. I'd like either of those matchups best. It could be the magic. That makes me nervous. I think they're a pretty good team. That's not a, It's not an easy series, even if it's at home against that team. So uh, I would hope for a team like the Bulls to be there because I don't like the heat. If they were to fall a little bit, I I never like playing the heat. So I'm going to say the Bulls. That's the team I want to be in that spot for the Cavs to beat up on in a series.
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm looking at this now. I, I would imagine if one of the in those play in games, if one of the low seeds wins, they're the they recede so they're the eighth seed right like if, if a if a nets or hawks or someone like that win their game
0: the seven seed wins their game they become the seventh seed and right. then the loser of that game goes and plays the winner of the other one to become the eighth. oh
1: gotcha gotcha okay yeah. all right of all those groups that entire group of, of teams you guys have mentioned i'm a little leery of the two teams from florida i don't want to match up against the Heat or the or the magic uh i think that's a that's a rough draw as a two seed when you should be expecting to like, all right, Eastern Conference Finals, here we come. Uh, and right out of the gate you get the heat or the magic. That would be rough. So give me give me the Bulls, give me the Hawks, give me the Nets all day long.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think I want to see the Pacers. Yeah. I don't I don't they think I want to see the Heat. I would love to see the Hawks. I would love to see the Nets. That is a team that's built to just be awful and get run off whatever those first round series are. And I can't remember if they're five or seven games. Maybe they're up to seven now, but Cavs would run the Nets or the Raptors or the Hawks, I think, out of the building, beat the Bulls. Th- those are the teams I'd like to see. Um, you guys are already, though, getting you know, in line for my next question because my next question is, is how important. If everything were to stay chalk right now, exactly where it is. How important is it for the Cavs to hold on to that two-seed? Because if they slip to three, their first-round matchup would be against the Magic. So we've already talked a little bit, like, at least from what we've seen this season so far, that that Magic matchup is really terrible for the Cavs. And is that going to – should that be playing into, like, how they're approaching the rest of the season to make sure they don't end up with that one?
1: Well, they may end up with it regardless. Just as bunched up as the 6, 7, and 8 are right now. But no, it is important. Like, I you know, hold on to that two seed. Like, I want to I want to play 7. I don't want to play 6. Because 6 is going to be a team that the way it's bunched up is probably the team that's playing the best basketball to end the season, right? Amongst those three teams, the Pacers, the Magic, the, the Heat. So, yeah, I, I think it's a big deal. It might be worth a series win to hold on to that two seed, not to mention home court until you face off against the Celtics the rest of the way. So that's huge. I
2: don't know how much more I can add other than, you know, you you busted your ass to get to that two seed, missing two starters. Like you went on a sick run and I'm not saying you should coast there to the end of the season, but you should lock that fucker down and make sure that you are playing at home, no matter who's who you're matching up with. And like Phil said, you want those home series until you're playing the Celtics in the finals for the conference.
0: It, it's a lot for the team to handle and the team to do, I think. I still think they're only a game up on the Bucks right now. And I think that Bucs team is still going to play. We talked about it last week. I know you guys didn't um, have a lot of confidence in Milwaukee going forward, but I, I, they still worry me uh, because just because of Giannis. And, man, if they can jump into that two-seed, and now we're worried about, man, are we playing the Pacers or the Magic or a team like that young up-and-coming teams with size would really worry me as a Cavs fan. So hold on to that two-seed, and everybody else just stay exactly where you're at. Don't move. Don't move. And that's what (laughs) seems to be the best option for the Cavs in the playoffs. All right, that's enough NBA. Why don't we move on to our Iceman cold shots, our ice-cold winter takes from around the sports world. And I don't know about you guys, it's going to be like 50 this week in Michigan. This might be our last of the Iceman cold shots. We might be moving on to some spring takes, but – Let's get rolling. Johnny Manziel. He was back in the news this week giving an interview where he complained that Brian Hoyer was impatient with him in the Browns quarterback room. Scale of one to five, one being learning how your kids are doing in school, five being learning anything new about Johnny Manziel. How much do you care about this story?
2: It is a five, and I was so pissed I had to see more than one clip. Like I, I, I don't think any of us agreed with that draft pick when it happened. It's a great story about some homeless guy I said, you got to draft this dude. Like, oh, OK, great. Listening to it and him beating up a guy who worked like so hard to get into stay in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, and knowing that, like, you know, Hoyer probably knew this guy's not trying. He's not studying. He's a drunk. He's, you know, whatever he is. Um, and he's complaining about it. How many years later? Like, at some point, you become self-aware. And I think Johnny did at one point, but now it seems like it's just not there anymore. He talked to I, – I, I saw a clip today about he was walking through the hallways in the defensive coordinator – I have no idea who it was at that time. I couldn't even tell you who the head coach was. But he was like, you'd be a hell of a player if you ever f- tried in that blew up man's out like he went to the quarterback room and uh whatever McNown was a quarterback for the browns at that point <laughs> was like what's wrong and went up there and like screamed at the coach but it's like you're that you were that fragile it like there's been a lot of really terrible draft picks for the browns i know i'm getting long-winded here i'm taking phillips time but it's a five <laughs> like your story is over man like if you're playing in a fan controlled league no one should care what you're doing today
1: I'm going to dust this one off for Johnny Manziel. It's a Burke seven is what that is. So that is a Burke seven every day of the week. I don't care. He's giving weight loss advice by doing as much blow as you can do. This is not what we need to hear right now. Like just go away, go away.
0: It's a five for me too. And mostly because of, of exactly what Chuck is saying. Manziel's already admitted that he wasn't like reading the playbook. He wasn't studying the playbook. And I'm, I'm fairly certain that um Shanahan was the offensive coordinator at the time yep, so you've yep, got a brilliant yep. offensive mind a brilliant quarterback mind and you're not even trying and at the same time you're getting pissed at the dude who's getting frustrated with you because he is trying uh and he is trying to like get a paycheck and win some games and be a starter in the NFL like, get out of it! what a just an absolute clown to even come out and to be talking about this now so no more johnny manzel for any of us moving on major league baseball is rolling out new uniforms that are getting mixed reviews but are made of a more breathable fabric <laughs> sound familiar <laughs> yep. what's more surprising that the new uniforms might be see-through or that baseball is finally listening to george costanza <laughs>
1: all i know is i think i got a preview with my white satin jacket uh from the cleveland browns (laughs) same material same material material. what what's going to be interesting is i'm pretty sure baseball is played mostly outdoors and there's no way that material can weather any weather so uh good luck with that
2: mlb (laughs) i want to say this is like a conspiracy theory to get people talking about the season before it actually happens but then you see like actual photos next to like jerseys from last year and they they do look like bad knockoffs. Like they, they like the, the lettering doesn't look right. The piping doesn't look right. But ultimately, uh, they seem to fit our, our Cleveland Guardians to a T. Like, I don't know if that guy looks right here, but... His jersey doesn't look right either, so this feels normal to me.
0: I think it's a strange thing to do to change uniforms in such a drastic way, but if it's a more breathable fabric, Stop the it. players are going to appreciate it. It, it. Everybody knows that, man. You don't want to be out there all hot and sweaty. Those old like polyester uniforms we wore like in junior high and high school and stuff like those were terrible. We haven't checked in on the Pro Volleyball Federation in some time. Any idea where your team is in the standings?
1: Nope. I forget who my team was. I think I went with Columbus. Columbus.
0: You guys are lucky to have me. Uh, Chuck went with Omaha. They're currently in second place at five right. and three. I went with Grand Rapids. They're in third place at three and two. Denka went with Columbus, fourth place at two and two. The season continues until May 12th. Are you worried about your team making the playoffs? How many teams make the I'm glad you asked because there's no information available on the website about what the playoff format will be or how many teams will make it. They're just... Playing volleyball until May twelfth, and then I don't know what's going to happen after that.
2: Hey, if they're not worried about it, then I'm not worried about it.
1: I've never been less worried about one of my teams making the playoffs than I am about the Columbus volleyballers.
0: Well, I suppose that the Indians don't have anybody you can hit in their lineup. We're not going to have to worry about them making. It's the pronounced no, it's Guardians. The
1: yeah, you did. It's pronounced Guardians. <laughs> oh, it's only
0: been two years. Boys. <laughs> Oh, boy. Well, with that, fellas, we're going to (laughs) close out this segment, take our final break, get serious, and come back off the field. Welcome back, fellas, to our final segment. We'll head off the field, and welcome to From the Land, Socrates. We get philosophical and have a, well, sort of serious discussion. Tonight, we are going to talk the 90s, because we were all a little bit inspired this week listening to Chuck Klosterman's book, The 90s, on Spotify, which is really a 2020s type of sentence. But let's start with the defining moments of the 90s in order. This is totally selected by me. This is not meant to be official, but Gulf War 1991, collapse of the Soviet Union in 91, L.A. riots in 92... Friends debuts in 94, Oklahoma City bombing in 95, OJ's acquittal was 95, 97, Princess Diana dies, Seinfeld ends, Google starts, and President Clinton was impeached. That's all 1998. Uh, The Columbine shooting, kind of that last big thing in 1999. If these are the defining moments of the 90s, what does that say about that decade?
1: That's a lot. I like how you wedge the Friends debut in in the midst of the. the, yeah. the travesty. There was some, we're gonna to get to it a the little travesty. bit. but There was some good stuff too. The travesty yeah. that was occurring in around it, but you know, I I thought about this. I think a lot happened in the '90s. It really did, and at a time in our lives where we we entered and exited high school and entered and exited college, right? Like, talk about eight years of your life that are crazy in terms of your formative years. But I think what it says about that decade is. Honestly, you could probably take any decade and find those kind of nothing as big as like the collapse of the Soviet union that happened one time, but you know, uh, the, the (laughs) other things like there's a lot of, in every decade, if you really kind of dug into it, I'm sure there's a lot of United States and international travesty and then good and bad on both sides, right? Like there's a lot to each decade and it's, it's a weird, it's a weird thing to think about things in the terms of these are the nineties. This is what it was about. I'll tell you the, the Columbine thing felt very two thousands to me. I, I don't know why I remember when it happened, but it, it felt like that opened another chapter in our history and a bad one. Um, and it's continued, unfortunately. So I don't know what it says about the nineties other than it, it's my favorite decade of my life for reasons I just mentioned. It was about high school and college, right? Like it's yeah. Yeah. A lot was going on in the world. I'm sure that occurs in every decade
2: unless you lived through it like we did in that age group, it make it sound like it it sucked more than it didn't. And that's not true. Like the nineties were pretty great. I, I don't think just for, for guys who are our age, but for people who are older as well.
0: It's an amazing yeah, yeah. A, decade of like a, economic a prosperity exactly, for yes. everybody, man. Yeah, yeah. Everybody. way more so than for us. Yeah. I didn't. I made no money in the nineties. <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> I think my parents did really great. Listen, yeah. listen
1: the yeah. Cleveland Indians went to two World <laughs> Series in the nineties. Yeah, yeah. And come on.
2: But a lot happened in that decade, good and bad, and it's it's weird to revisit it because it doesn't seem like it was that far away for me and then you start thinking like holy shit! that's a really long time ago uh but but if you're just bullet pointing it it looks like it sucked uh, but but to be honest like, like you're saying financially like th- this country prospered a lot of innovation happened in the 90s a lot of positive happened in the 90s major cultural shifts happened in the 90s so it was a mixed bag but mostly po- at
0: least in my brain like it was it was mostly positive it, it's so interesting How this happens, because if you and I did this, I spent a lot of time this week, like reading things about Gen X in the 90s online and like reading people's opinions and views and essays and stuff like that. And more often than not, they describe people our age as having almost been kind of forged going through this really uncertain, tumultuous time. And I got to tell you, I never felt it. In the 90s, you know what I mean? Like, or at least I don't remember feeling it. I'm like, you guys, I look back on it and I say, these were humongous things. And it's my point in this list was not to be like, look at how shitty this was. These were like the biggest stories of a lot of those years. Maybe the Friends thing wasn't, but in the end, that show was on for a TV for a long time and, you know, kind of historic. But it's something that's global, like, or at least national for. Most of these things, whereas like the, the Indians then going to two world series is not something that moved the needle. I don't think in like England, these are the giant moments, the ones that as many times as possible, you can say like, I remember exactly where I was sitting, exactly what I was doing when this thing happened. I looked at this list in the nineties as if it was a precursor for everything that we experience now, just on a smaller or like infant scale. Um, when this stuff was happening in the 90s there was barely any 24-hour news now it's everywhere information is so constantly in our faces in our lives we can't get away from it the story of columbine was such a shock and i get it i I think the reason why that feels like 2000 to us is because we were already out of high school for a few years by then like that's we were almost fall of 99 we're almost out of college at that point too it does feel like a different time but that starts this now constant story of school shootings, terrorist-like attacks in our country. Google started in the 90s, and it's ubiquitous now. Google's an everyday part of all of our lives. The Clinton impeachment was the start of the political divide that continues. Um, we continue to experience war and race violence. All of that stuff seems shocking in the 90s, and what really, really sucks is that now it all seems very commonplace. It kind of like brought me down a little bit thinking about this is like gosh these things happen and they seem so big and now now it seems like it happens all the time and we're not even phased by it anymore and that's a that sucks but the 90s were not just shitty shit happening all the time it was as we all know a huge decade for music so fair to say that hip-hop and grunge were the dominant music genres of the 90s yes not from chuck oh yeah Half nod from Denko. Nirvana's Nevermind is released in September of 1991. How long did the grunge era last?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. I I think I'm going to say the first half of the decade. It was probably, it probably started in 91 and was gone by 96.
2: Uh, Same. I think it was gone before we
0: even walked out of NDCL. I think it was gone by 95. You guys, you guys are pretty smart. I have read and I have heard opinions before that the end of the grunge era was the release of Cracked Rear View by Hootie and the Blowfish. And when a totally different style of music and a much happier, much upbeat, much lighter version came out and had massive success, and Cracked Rear View was released in July of 1994. So right around that time, 94, 95, 96, that's when... This era ends, and it was a little bit surprising to me because it seems like, gosh, it was such a big deal, and it lasted for four years, maybe five. What album do you think kicked off the hip-hop era? Straight out of Compton by NWA is 1988. 1990 is MC Hammer and Vanilla Ice hitting the charts. 92 is The Chronic. So one of those, or if I'm missing one, you guys know hip-hop a lot more than I do.
2: Hmm. It's 90, it's hammer, and it's vanilla ice because it made it accessible and less terrifying for white America. NWA was, I can remember having that cassette and my mom pulling out the tape and ripping it. Uh, it. was It was scary to white America, where vanilla ice and MC Hammer made it okay for for white including, I'm pretty sure. my mom loved MC Hammer, and my dad liked vanilla ice, like it was it became more acceptable. Uh, where it became to the front of pop culture is 92 is what you're saying. Like once the guy who was really scary in NWA starts making these bangers that everybody just loves in the chronic, that's when culture shifted. But I I really think what got it into uh, white America is hammer and and vanilla ice as much as we don't really like those guys or they got dogged out really hard back in the, that's a nice nineties phrase. I said, dogged out Uh, back in the (laughs) nineties. The truth is those guys opened the door to make it, less controversial not that it wasn't controversial in the 90s with certain groups but it made it more okay uh, for everybody to be a part of it
1: yeah i guess to expand on that like the interesting thing that happened in the early 90s in hip-hop was it expanded in every direction because we we didn't get rid of the hip-hop that would scare white america there was there was wu-tang clan and i mean and it was widely accessible but it was not something white America could relate to. I remember growing up in the eighties and my hip hop go-tos were the Beastie Boys and NWA and things like that. That was, that was the eighties. Right. And what the nineties did is it gave you pop hip hop. So like Chuck saying MC hammer, vanilla ice, it created another, a whole nother path of hip hop. And maybe we'll get to it, but I know it's close to Chuck's heart and mind for sure in the tribe called quest and De La Soul and those type of, Groups that were clearly, clearly produced for the masses. It didn't matter what your background was. This is positivity and hip hop and storytelling. And there was still your. I remember. So to answer your question, Gerbs, I know I'm getting long winded here, but I remember when the Chronic was released. That that was that was still N.W.A. esque, but every white kid in suburbia knew about the Chronic and went out and got the Chronic immediately. I'm going to lean towards that one is kind of like, all right, now we're we're listening to things that we can't relate to. Um, and they are bangers, like Chuck said, like that's that's what got it, got it through the door. And if you really listen to that album and the stuff that
0: Dre is talking about, it's no different than what NWA was rapping about four years prior to that. OK, which genre grunge or hip hop do you think had the most lasting impact on music and on culture?
1: I, I feel biased to answer this question because I think it personally, the, the, the hip hop of the nineties swayed my music taste way more than grunge. I, I bought Pearl jams 10 and I bought nevermind. And I I did that and I enjoyed those albums for they what they were, I guess in the moment, but the energy of hip hop in the nineties was more my thing. Like I, I, I gravitated towards that. Um, so I feel like to answer the question, I feel like hip hop had the more lasting effect from the nineties. But I guess that might be short-sighted because what was born of the grunge era, you know, did that create? And you know, I'm I'm a kind of a fan of the Foo Fighters, so you know, it's uh, and did it create those kind of bands that come out of grunge and became the next rock giants, moving into the next era? So personally, I feel hip hop, but that's that's certainly biased just because of my my musical interests at the time.
2: He's Phil's argument almost against him here. Uh, the last meaningful rock album that came out was. Nirvana's Nevermind in 1990 or 1991 it shifted the sound of rock which was dominant at that point right I can't think of uh, another than maybe like Radiohead's okay computer but that was more electronic than it was rock Uh, that's the most meaningful rock album that's come out since there hasn't been one that that was a cornerstone moment where everyone bought it everyone was listening to it hip-hop has a much longer lasting uh, effect on everyone's life lexicon style clothing grunge you got what flannels out of it and that cycle will repeat every like couple like doc martens were cool last year again and flannels were cool but nobody's putting around their waist like we did in the 90s (laughs) hip-hop uh has has seeped into every corner of the world whether it's the way people talk it's the way people dress it's the way people act the bravado of it not only become because it become much safer uh it, it was much cooler like grunge was Downtrodden and heavy, and in 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 hard at times. Where hip hop, that genre existed as well, but so did the happy stuff, and so did the dance mm-hmm. stuff. So uh, I think the lasting effect is hip hop has has overtaken rock at that point. Um, started in the '90s, and even now, where it's it's the most popular form of of music compared to rock. Where shit, man, that's that you're, you're scraping the bottom of the barrel when it comes to rock in the year 2024.
0: I would say that that is, and I agree with you guys, but I would say that that's not necessarily the way the '90s are viewed. It's viewed as like the grunge decade, and grunge was just like you're saying, Chuck. It's this huge shift in music and this yeah. totally new way of doing things. It immediately kills overnight. Poison, yeah. Def Leppard, yeah. uh, Guns God. and Roses. You know, they're they they're, they're just gone. They're gone and they're a joke for, and and, and they come back 20 years later when all of us have grown up and want to go see a concert again and, and see those fun bands. But in the end, I think grunge was overrated. If you look back on it now, it's like how many hits really came out of there? How many long-lasting bands came out of it? They did have an issue, not that hip-hop didn't too, but they had an issue where their artists died young. I mean, you had like all the Alice in Chains guys were gone. Even Chris Cornell went way before he should have. I mean, it was only a few years ago, but um, Chris Cornell was great. What's the the lasting impact? And if rock is dead and grunge was a change in rock and it's the last meaningful album in rock was Nevermind, it didn't keep it alive. It didn't even keep it alive for four years. Hootie, Hootie comes out and probably sold sixty million records or something ridiculous like that. Yeah. Crack review came out. I guess I would have expected that most people would think grunge had the longer impact, but I think it's pretty clear that it's not. It was the hip hop that came out of there. I would say the one thing I that maybe traces for both of them is that what we see now in rock and in hip hop is really watered down from what we experienced in the nineties, it's gotten much more commercial. It's gotten much less edgy. There's nobody's afraid of anybody that I know of who's doing hip hop or grunge or, or rock that, that is maybe one of the things that comes out of it is eventually even these like rebellious forms of music become mainstream and pop and lame. All right, let's talk generation X people born between 1965 and 1980. This is what I found was probably the most popular definition that exists today for Gen Xers. This generation is often characterized as independent, skeptical, adaptable, and entrepreneurial. They came of age during a time of economic and political upheaval, and many of them value creativity, diversity, and work-life balance. Does that definition fit? And if not, how would you define a Gen Xer? I
2: mean, I wrote down, you use a lot of the same words I did. <laughs> uh, creative and innovative, resourceful, independent, somewhat blissfully ignorant. Um, and I said, maybe the first generation that cared about work-life balance. You said, like the almost literally the yeah. same things I said. Uh, the only thing that maybe did I think we're the uh the last generation that excels at social interaction. And maybe it's because social media really didn't exist in our formative years that. I and Phil, like we had to drive 50 minutes to to, to interact with people and hang out with people. And we cherish those moments. I also think the 90s, it was different. Like, and maybe because we were and again, like I look at our friend group and go how lucky we were that we were all very welcome in each other's homes. You know, like uh, the way your parents treated me and my parents treated you. I, I don't know if that exists anymore. You know, like I. I don't know if people care looking out the street about kids running around like, like our parents would have, or I don't even know this kid, but you know, are you okay? Or come on in or whatever it is where we were a little more welcoming and accepting back then. But I think that's almost the perfect definition. We we had a lot of the same buzzwords there.
1: I I love that definition. I, I view our generation as kind of a, a bridge generation, like because of maybe, maybe us specifically, we're kind of at the end of that generation, right? Like, you know, 76, 77, we're at the tail end of it and maybe it's more us specifically because of what a decade like the 90s meant for us given what happens in high school and what happens in college and these kind of things and and how you grow i feel like we we hold on to some of the best aspects of the generation previous to us you know and and Chuck kind of just highlighted those where it's there is still that interpersonal relationship and family network and these kind of things but we also we also don't just immediately get left behind with all the advancements in technology and these kind of things. Like, I feel like we, we fit squarely in there and, and, and we kind of bridge the two, Uh, the the book that we started to, to listen to that you suggested groups. I really, I really enjoyed the, the analogy where he went through the difference between 1960 and 1990 versus 1990 and 2020, same, same amount of years, right? 30 years in each direction. And the, ridiculous change from 90 to 2020, which we've all experienced. Right. And we got to experience that from our teenage years to our current, you know, middle-age years, which is huge. So I, I, I kind of see that as we're this bridge generation. We aren't what the generation was trying to make us during, during the nineties. Like we, we aren't that, like, I, we aren't this downtrodden, like, I don't want to be popular. I don't want to be cool. I don't want to be this. Like that's the cool thing to be is to be uncool. I I think it's really, we, we do kind of gravitate towards some of the positivities of the generations that we border.
0: Good answers, fellas. I think the technology thing is so huge because we were the generation that experienced technology at an age when we could understand it and adapt to it. You know, we are the digital and analog generation where our parents are analog and our kids are digital. I think one of the biggest things Maybe for our generation is that education was really important uh, and valuable, and affordable. Mm. I feel terrible for kids today who have to mortgage decades and decades and decades of their future to get the kind of education that I did. Um, that that seems really unfair. It seems like a bad thing in general. But for us, it was a really there was always a really big push push to go to college. Go to college is how you. That's what you got to do to get ahead go to grad school, get ahead. Um, But it was achievable for, you know, people of reasonable means. You know, and I think that's a big difference from what we see now. And I think that our generation lives without a lot of attention. I think a lot is made out of the generation before us, like the boomers in a lot of negative ways in the last maybe five or ten years. And a a ton of attention paid to the generations that have come after us. And somehow Gen X is just kind of like, cruising along in the middle. Like we're having a good time where like you're saying, like the independent streak in all of us, I think is, is a real thing. And that's part of it. Like, Hey, I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to have a good time. And I don't really want to get into the fights between you guys on either side of me. Uh, And so I think as a a generation, we fly a little, we fly a little under the radar. What won't you miss from the nineties? Dial up internet. College football, when there was no playoff of any kind. Wait till you get to that chapter of the book when he describes what college football was like in the 90s he's was like, my god, that was dumb. Uh, phone books, those necklaces made of little white stones or shells. I don't <laughs> know. Chuck tell? and Casario definitely had those. <laughs> Chuck and Casario. Uh, that Microsoft, <laughs> <laughs> the Microsoft Word paperclip. Remember that oh, guy? yeah. All yeah. right. What Which of cool. those things? <laughs> Which of those won't you miss from the 90s?
1: Oh, those are all great options. I don't miss any of those things. But I will tell you, I do not miss dial-up internet at all. I, mean, I just Just ridiculous to even think about that.
2: Yeah. Thank God. Same. Because if I hear that noise, even in like commercial or movie or whatever. Like I go into a fetal position. I don't know why. Yeah. I do I will never miss dial up internet. You know. Oh
0: man, you need therapy, buddy. I, definitely you gotta get that checked out. That <laughs> should not be happening. Uh I'm going with phone books. What a what a waste. I think we were still getting phone books like two years ago. Like <laughs> stop sending me these things. I, I yeah. haven't opened one of these <laughs> in any reason in like in like eight years. Come on. All right, fellas, we are out of time. I am out of questions for now. And We just did the whole show without mentioning that Ace Ventura, Forrest Gump, True Lies, The Mask, The Crow, The Lion King, Shawshank Redemption, Pulp Fiction, and Dumb and Dumber are all turning 30 this year. With that news that no matter what you say about our generation, 1994 had a lot of good fucking movies. I hope you guys have a great week, and let's get together and do this again real soon. Absolutely. It's a good week. There you go. <laughs> Sugar, are you like playing with something with your right hand that you're like tapping on the table or tapping on my beer. I'm sorry. Yeah. I have a lot of, I'm, a lot of I'm nervous picking up, a lot I'm picking of nervous up all energy. Those sounds. Yeah. Put your hands on your head. That's good. <laughs> Phil?
2: So I was looking I at Arius being that bad. But when I started looking <clears throat> at his numbers, I'm like, yeah. His strikeout rate was 32.8.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> like Fran Mill. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Maybe he Franville is uh,
2: shortstop. What's oh, What's crazy God. about. Oh, Just lie down and put your arms out.
1: <laughs> yeah. Because we need his offense. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Why are you trying to get Fran Mill into the lineup, Chuck? So. <laughs> can hit home runs. But so can Arias. I Arias. Think. Is,
1: like he he was an offensive first kind of player coming up through the minor yeah. leagues, you know, it's yeah. just like, oh, it's I, well, so he
0: projects as a bat for sure. Yeah.
1: So when you look at the, the depth chart, they have areas playing um every infield position other than first base and both corner outfield positions. That's what he's listed for wow. all that. So that's a guy that like get his bat in lineup, except his bat sucks. Right. Like what, what are we doing? Yeah. Um So, that was
0: a. Well, that I, that sounds like that sounds like Francona's. Yeah. Card. That's like oh, yeah, everybody's well, going to play everywhere. I don't know if Vote is going to be the same kind of I guy. not.
1: Well, right now they need to find offense at shortstop, offense in right field, and offense in center field. Right? Yep. Like those yep. three positions
0: are void of offense. Um, unless, unless, unless Naylor's your right fielder.
1: Who's playing first?
0: Who gives a shit? Because <laughs> we need
1: <laughs> offense at first. If you're taking Naylor out of there, yes. All
0: right, so so and, and Na- <laughs> Naylor is probably better at first than than in right field, and that, that uh,
2: kid might be ready that we got from Tampa Bay at some point this year too to, to play. play first. Uh, yeah, he did all right he, today. He actually. might be. Oh, yeah, Matt Matarazzo or whatever yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he might be ready at some point.
0: You've got the guy, like, the guy they traded to Colorado. Nolan Jones? Played, Nolan Jones, yeah. Yeah, who played most of last year and played well for them. Will Brennan down in Cincinnati. Cincinnati, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. all of a sudden, <laughs> boy, some of those guys.
2: There's the guy in Tampa Bay, too, that plays really well, and they got rid of him. Oh,
1: the big um, dude, that the- the third baseman?
0: Gino Urshela, is that the guy?
2: No, no, no. Uh,
1: that D, is he a Diaz? Diaz, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's He plays third base for Tampa.
0: Franmil Diaz? Yes. <laughs> Fran Diaz. Yep, <laughs> absolutely. That's exactly yeah. who it is. Hey, do you know I, why you guys are both cussed? Let me tell you.
1: Oh, I was about to say I have I can list some things. <laughs> Is there only one
0: reason? Yeah, feeling, no. no. We well, do the latest to reason. To tell us. So in last week's Music League, I follow the instructions of you two guys, and I pick a song that I that panders totally to the de la soul fans in the group. And I figure I gave it I'm the good most for eight votes between these two. Uh, no, no, you didn't, you gave only it gave two? it two. I gave it two. I think. I think. Yeah. yeah. You only I gave I two. Gave
1: every, I don't think I gave anything last week higher than a two.
0: Yeah, me neither. It doesn't make me feel any better. I picked that song specifically to garner eight votes from you guys, and I ended up with only two. And I think only like one from Bonhart, even though he said he listened to it like a hundred times in high school. No. That's why you guys are a... just so listen, you know. listen. But didn't you so come? Know. Did you
2: come in first that round? Where it wasn't where No, you...
0: I, I think that was that. Cool. That was like third or something like that. I thought yours was. It was the Kill Bill think... song.
2: I think I, wasn't I think so. first. I thought "Burn On" was the first number. Oh, one. it was. You're right. Oh you're right, Burn yeah, yeah Burn, "Burn On" was
0: yeah. one. Yeah, you're right.
2: I was surprised about the like. I put it in there, going like, "This is, I love this," but I don't know if anybody's gonna be with me because it's ten plus minutes. And then I read yeah. the curbs coming. I'm like, "I'm gonna do all right here. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna do okay."
1: <laughs> hey, I I just want to bring this to light, gerbs The week before, I put a I put a Springsteen song on the you know the. Do I love you cover? And you gave it less than two points and Ugh. ripped it apart because it was pandering yeah. for the Springsteen vote. So go fuck yourself. Like I'm <laughs> well, wait a minute. Like Wish, should,
0: Were uh, you the one who put Brilliant Disguise on? No, no, I I put uh, Oh, because Brilliant Disguise you. is terrible. Yeah, no, I terrible I love song. That's that's yeah. that's a bad one.
1: But you uh. called me out not knowing it was me saying you're obviously pandering for the Gerber vote go yeah, fuck yourself yeah. here's 1 point like, oh, damn it oh, well, maybe a I'm bad. a cunt too
0: <laughs> yeah yeah so welcome to the cunt club oh, Here we are we should be friends
1: <laughs> gerb's how uh, how is tammy doing with her back
0: she is better she was definitely feeling um Felt a little bit better yesterday. Uh, did the exercises all day, with the exception of the two hours when we were at the bar. That's when she felt the best. Oh, yeah, there we um, go. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh and she woke up today feeling better, still doing the exercises. Um she she walked today, like she walked her dog today. She did not she didn't do it the day before. Mm-hmm. Um and, and she said, like, the walking felt like it really helped. Okay. Um, Twisting still hurts. And it's like she, when she stands up straight, she says, I was supposed to text you this this morning, and I forgot. But then mm-hmm. she forgot to ask me about it, so we're good. Until I put this on, and she hears this, <laughs> have this conversation in an outtake. Yeah. It'll be a nice test to see whether she really listens all That's the right. way through. That's right. She says, like, when she... Um, when she tries to straighten up, it feels like her spine's like, like going to collapse. It's like, it's not going to support her when she straightens up like that. But I think she's, she's headed in the right direction.
1: Yeah. So, but she feels okay with those prone press ups, right? Like if she's laying on her stomach and doing the press ups, Mm -hmm. that's good. Not bad. Okay.
0: All right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mostly, I mean, mostly muscular still. I mean, it sounds anyway. Um,
0: Oh, she'll be glad to hear that. Yeah. It, it, it if I remember to tell her or she'll be super glad to hear it when she listens to this episode
1: that's right just listen to this we'll give we'll give tammy all of her all of her rehab advice in an outtake and see how long she listens like make it the last outtake. yeah Uh, Dylan wakes up like at 7 40, like what's wrong with you guys
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's let's play what are we like, doing Dylan,
1: you're in charge today your brother and I are, we're, <laughs> <in> sleep. <laughs> were sleeping
0: all day whatever you want to do
1: and he was so sweet like Dylan Dylan threw the uh the switch on the big tv in the living room and Logan was finally passing out like after just realizing like I got to stop drinking water because I just throw up because I need sleep so finally yeah. passing out on the couch in the front room and Dylan muted the TV while he was playing video games and I didn't know he was playing video games. So I, I was kind of passing out in the bedroom cause I hadn't slept yet. So I come out of here. I'm like, "Dill, what are you doing? He's like, Oh, I'm playing this game. I'm doing really well. But I turned the volume all the way down. So Logan and you could sleep. I'm like, Oh, oh you're such a good kid. What a Good kid. <laughs> yeah. Jeez,
0: yeah. 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 I remember that when he's 16. Yeah. Remember this moment here, <laughs> <I know>. Phil. <laughs> remember this one here. It's that's what you if need. I, you uh, need to hey, hold on to those. Hey, if when he's 16, if until I can they remember become functioning anything, humans again, I'll be so old. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Who knows if I'll remember anything? <laughs> lucky to remember his name.
0: Oh man! <laughs> oh, fuck. Well, that doesn't bode well for the rest of us. <laughs> You're younger than us. <laughs> All right. I boys. Was. This yeah. was a lot of fun. Yeah, it, was. it was good chat. Yes, sir. Love you, fellas. Love, love, you boys. love you too. See you good soon. Night. Later. Later. See you,
2: Funny, funny like a clown here to amuse you.